0: Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kenton-Nun. Today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr Toby Friend. Toby's a research associate on the Metascience Project at the University of Bristol, and we'll be discussing Toby's recent paper, Megarian Variable Actualism, published in Synthase in 2021. So I'll just start by giving a brief overview of the paper, and then we can get into the discussion. So, philosophers have tended to divide properties into two classes the categorical and the dispositional. Among the categorical properties are those such as pain and triangularity. And among the dispositional properties are fragility and malleability. We might say that categorical properties are all there or wholly present in their instances. If you stub your toe, the pain is wholly present in you. And the triangularity of a Dorito is wholly present in the Dorito. Dispositional properties, on the other hand, are not wholly present in their instances. They point beyond their instances to some characteristic manifestation property. A fragile vase, for example, can break or is liable to break under appropriate circumstances. The property fragility points beyond what is actual to its merely possible manifestation, namely breaking. Now, powers are essentially dispositional properties. So understood as a power, the property fragility is essentially tied up with a disposition to break. And from this, it follows that it's necessary that any fragile object is disposed to manifest breaking. I'll talk in terms of powers from now on. It's a platitude about powers that they need not ever actually manifest the properties to which they point. So a vase is fragile even if it never actually manifests breaking. A lump of clay is malleable even if it remains forever in the same shape. Toby Friend wants to deny this platitude about powers. He argues that powers are in fact always manifesting. The claim that powers are always manifesting has come to be known as Megarian actualism. And it's related to the idea that something is possible only if it's actual. His strategy turns on the fact that powers' manifestation properties can be understood as coming in degrees. So in the fragility example, fragility is characteristic manifestation property. Breaking comes in a range of determinate degrees. A fragile vase could break into two pieces, four pieces, 10,000 pieces, or it could be turned into plasma. Any of these would count as manifesting the vase's fragility by breaking. But crucially, Toby argues that even breaking into zero pieces counts as manifesting fragility because this counts as one of the degrees of breaking. It's breaking with degree zero. Hence, a fragile vase is always manifesting its fragility by instantiating breaking to some degree or other. Toby then generalises the point by arguing that for any power, its manifestation can be understood as coming in degrees, and he argues that manifesting a property to the zero degree should nonetheless count as manifesting that property. Hence, powers are always manifesting. Toby argues that this way of understanding powers is supported by actual scientific practice and yields some nice responses to some old puzzles. So is that a fair summary, Toby, and would you like to elaborate a bit?
1: Yeah, I think that sounds like a good summary. Um, in light of the way you introduced powers just now, maybe it's worth advertising a potential benefit of the Megarian view I describe. I guess the idea is that if we adopt this Megarian view, we may no longer have to say that powers are not wholly in, in their instances. They can be rather more like the triangularity of the Dorito, since what powers point to is always instantiated alongside their instances. If that is something that worries you as a prospective believer in powers, then my hope is that the Megarian view I've described might make it more acceptable. I also also think it's worth emphasising that in the paper I motivate the Megarian view by starting with the scientific cases. The insight is supposed to be that scientific dispositional properties or powers and their manifestations are often represented by variables like specific heat capacity is a power or dispositional property which manifests by um, temperature change in the object which has it, or the price elasticity of a commodity manifests by a change in the price of that commodity. Um, And carrying capacity is uh, a power or a dispositional property of a habitat which manifests by a rate of growth of a population. When we look at how dispositional properties feature in scientific equations, it seems to me much more immediately plausible to think that when the manifestation takes any value, even a zero value, that's still a representation of what the dispositional property is in some sense doing. We could take take an example. You gave the example of fragility above, but maybe just to look at one that's maybe a bit more scientific. Uh, the stiffness of a spring is a dispositional property or power which manifests by the amount it stretches or compresses under a load force. And we describe this with um, Hooke's equation, F equals K representing stiffness um, times extension X. When there's a load force of 10 newtons, say, the spring may manifest its stiffness by stretching a centimetre. When there's a load of 5 newtons, the spring may manifest its stiffness by stretching half a centimetre. And when there's a force of zero newtons, then it stretches zero centimetres. But stretching zero centimetres in response to zero newtons is just of the same kind of behavioural characteristic stretching one centimetre in response to 10 newtons or half a centimetre in response to five newtons, or at least that's the idea. So there isn't really a possible scenario in which a spring stiffness is not manifesting since it's always experiencing some value of force.
0: That's great. Thanks very much indeed, Toby. Um, Okay, so now can you just tell us a bit about the background to this paper? What got you thinking about this stuff in the first place?
1: Yeah, well, thats I could talk for a long time about this. I guess you could call me a recovering Humean. My PhD thesis and a lot of the work that I've done to date has been broadly in the tradition of the view that there aren't any necessary connections in nature, just like Hume thought. But to be honest, I've never really felt comfortable with that view. The world always seemed to me causally connected in a way that humans just don't want to agree with. So I'd like to find an alternative framework to work within. Um, and dispositionalism has always seemed like an obvious candidate. Dispositionalists believe that the pointing that powers exhibit to other properties, their manifestations, is a real feature of the world. And I'm thinking maybe that's the connection in the world that I've been looking for. But Dispositionalists famously face serious philosophical problems. Uh, My exploration of Megarian actualism was really motivated by the problem that if objects don't manifest their dispositions, then they will be, in some sense, pointing to something that both exists but also cannot exist. If the property of breaking, for example, is what instances of fragility must point to for the sake of their very identity, then its breaking must surely really exist. But if the vase is not actually breaking, then how can its breaking exist? This problem is sometimes referred to as the problem of unmanifested powers and a number of philosophers have discussed it. Um, Armstrong, I think, possibly the first. It's generally conceded that Megarian actualism is a way out of this problem because it allows that powers do always manifest and so always have something to point at. Having said that, adopting Megarian actualism isn't, for me at least, a straightforward resolution to the problem. The form of Megarian actualism which I defend in the paper, is what I called Megarian variable actualism. The idea is that powers point towards variable properties, like degree of breaking, rather than the simpler property of just breaking. That's what the scientific examples seem to motivate, and it's the only way that I can see to make a plausible response to the various complaints people have made against Megarian actualism over the years. But variables are quite reasonably thought of as disjunctions of values. The degree of breaking, some have thought, just is the property breaking to the degree zero or breaking in two or breaking in three or breaking in four and so on. To solve the problem of unmanifested powers, which motivated my interest in Megarian actualism in the first place then, the dispositional property of fragility would need to point to all these values. But for fairly fairly obvious reasons, I find it implausible that fragile things are always breaking in every possible way that they could all the time. I think there is a way out of this issue that makes Megarian variable actualism a good response to the problem of unmanifested powers. And that's to deny that variables are just disjunctions of values. In some sense, it needs to be the variables themselves which are more fundamental than the values they take. But all this is beyond the scope of the paper itself. I found in thinking about these things that Megarian variable actualism, in fact, has other things which motivate it besides the hope of responding to the problem of unmanifested powers. It seems to me to be suggested by scientific considerations and helps deal with other problems about epistemic access to powers. I guess i hope one day to get round to writing something about the end goal of applying the view to the problem which initially motivated but that's probably some way off in the future
0: cool thanks toby interesting you describe yourself as a recovering humean because sometimes i think maybe i'm moving in the opposite direction i used to have very strong anti-human intuitions but but those are slightly weaker these days
1: we're mixing in the middle
0: exactly yeah uh okay so at one point you ask what megarian actualism would amount to In the context of quantitative powers, if not the view that you sketch, according to which powers always manifest at least some possible value of the manifestation variable. But now I'm thinking you still allow these powers with quantitative manifestations to be associated with or directed towards some non-manifested possibilities, namely the other values of the manifestation variable, and allowing these non-actualized or non-manifested possibilities maybe just doesn't seem very Megarian. So, in the interest of properly retaining the Megarian spirit, why not just take Megarian actualism to imply a single track only view of powers such that powers cannot be for manifestations that aren't actualized?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I do think there is a difference between what you just referred to as the spirit of Megarian actualism and what we might call the letter of Megarian actualism. Uh, since Aristotle first spoke about the view, It's always been defined as the view that powers always manifest. That's the view I defend in the paper. Uh, It fits the definition, so technically it fits the letter of the Megarian view. But I respect the fact that it might not adhere to the spirit of Megarian actualism. Traditionally, the view has been used as a point of contrast with dispositionalism, or at least the kind of dispositionalist views that people have wanted to advocate Dispositionalists have often wanted to say that their view is not one of Megarian actualism because they want to allow that things could happen, which in fact don't. They also want to say that this is explained in part, at least by the nature of powers. As you say, Megarian variable actualism allows that powers could be manifesting in ways that they don't. There are values of power's manifestation variables which could manifest, but they aren't because they're manifesting some other value. A spring, for instance, could be stretching two centimetres, even when it's actually stretched one centimetre. In this sense, my Megarian actualism isn't in line with the spirit of using it as a contrast class which dispositionalists have wanted to refer to in order to help define their view. Indeed, I think the view I defend is 100% dispositionalist-friendly, We could, I suppose, redefine Megarian actualism so that what is Megarian actualism in letter is Megarian actualism in spirit, maybe in that way you just suggested. Then my view wouldn't be Megarian anymore, I suppose. But that's not really such a big problem for me. I'm happy just to have pointed out that in objecting uh, to the spirit of Megarian actualism, as dispositionalists have often seen it, they have not been careful to see that the spirit can be denied without giving up on the letter of Macarian actualism, as everyone has been defining it up till now. And there are some good reasons, I believe, for wanting to maintain that letter of Macarian actualism, which I talk about in the paper.
0: Okay, so in the course of motivating the reality of zero-valued manifestations, this is an important part of your argument, you cite various examples such as temperature zero, spin zero and force zero, But now, I wonder if these are all really analogous. Um, So it seems to me that temperature and force are are kind of disanalogous in the sense that temperature zero on either the Celsius or the Fahrenheit scale is clearly just a conventional name for some position on the scale. I I see that. Um, I'm not so sure about the Kelvin scale, but let's just set that aside for now. So it makes sense to say that zero temperature uh, on one of these scales isn't really an absence of temperature. But zero force um, really does seem like an absence of force. We don't call zero force, zero force just by convention. It seems that we're actually denoting an absence of something here. So when the manifestation of a power is zero force, maybe contrary to what you suggest, it really is appropriate to say that the power is unmanifested.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that the plausibility of real zero values for each variable property needs to be assessed on an individual basis. Uh, I also agree that the case for Celsius and Fahrenheit Does seem more straightforward than force. Obviously, as a defender of Megarian variable actualism, I think that there will be some defense of the existence of zero values for every real manifestation property out there, but that still leaves quite a lot of scope for our treatment of any particular candidate. In general, I think there's always the option to consider that some variable property whose zero values are hard to conceive of being real are not real for any value. We might say that. Force for, ex- force, for example. Forces often claimed not to be a real property. Um, in pre-Hamiltonian mechanics, for instance, force can appear to be just a placeholder for a rate of change in momentum. In advanced mechanics, force is often nowhere to be seen at all. Physicists uh, and engineers often prefer to work in terms of gradients of potential energy. But zero values of gradients are, at least seems to me, as acceptable as any other kind of gradient. And zero potential energy for a system Uh, It's just an arbitrary choice of the person doing the calculation problem. So if we're willing to kind of give up on the reality of force, then obviously there's not going to be a problem there. Um, But say we do want to acknowledge the reality of some candidate variable like force. I think a case can be made for the reality of the zero value. And I think here it's helpful to think of experiments where force seems relevant. So we might consider Millikan's oil drop experiment where tiny oil drops Uh, were statically charged and set free in an electric field, which attracts them upwards while their own mass is pulling them downwards. Millikan's aim was to find that the value of the electric fields, which would make the oil droplets fall or rise at a constant rate. um, And he wanted to do that so he could assess what the value of the static charge was on each oil drop. When this is achieved, though, when you get a constant rate of um, velocity of these oil drops, uh, there's obviously a zero total force on each droplet. And I think we want to say that not because there was no force acting on the droplet, but because the gravitational force and the electrostatic force in in these cases are cancelling each other out. Allowing that there to be zero force in such a state rather than no force seems to me to make it clearer that the state in which the oil drops are moving at a constant velocity is continuous with states in which either gravity or the electric field win out so that the droplet accelerates. It also seems to me to make sense of the fact that something is happening to the droplet in that state. It's being constrained by counteracting forces operating in an opposite direction. Nevertheless, I guess... Some are probably going to be uh, just unhappy with this kind of way of thinking. And I think it's probably only fair to reference Newton's first law, which is often characterised as saying that objects remain at rest or constant velocity unless acted on by a force. And that certainly makes it sound like the zero value of force is an absence of force. And maybe we should think that since forces are created by um, the exchange of bosons An exchange of no bosons would create no force, so not zero force. I suppose to really have it out over the specific example of force, we'd have to determine whether we're talking about special forces like gravitational and electromagnetic forces or total force. And we'd also need to distinguish between the fundamental forces and the non-fundamental forces. But perhaps all this is more than the Megarian actualist really needs to consider what they claim what i claim is only that powers will always manifest if zero value of force is just not a real thing then if some powers manifest force at all then it simply must always be uh, a positive value of force and that's not implausible i think force is the manifestation of two masses in proximity with each other or at least gravitational forces but two objects with a positive mass will always exert some positive force as long as they're not infinitely far apart An object which doesn't have positive mass like a photon will not establish any gravitational forces on other masses. But that doesn't commit us to saying it exerts zero force. What would commit us to saying that is if we were also committed to saying that photons have zero mass rather than no mass. And to be honest, I'm not totally sure. I'm happy with saying photons have no mass. But that's always an option if we find that we'd otherwise be committing to photons not always being able to manifest in general. The Megarian is only committed to there being real zero values for real manifestation variables which actually exhibit that value. They aren't committed to there being real zero values for the variables which represent the dispositions themselves, nor for manifestation variables which never go to zero. And they certainly aren't committed to every zero value for every scientifically useful variable being real.
0: At one point, you note that the reciprocal of a zero value is an infinite value. And so if we were to deny the reality of zero values, we should also deny the reality of infinite values. Um, But you say that it would be odd to deny the reality of infinite values. Now, I'm just not quite clear why this would be so odd. Um, So I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about why we can't just deny the reality of infinity.
1: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to push me on. I'm not sure I really have... Anything more to persuade you with other than intuition. But maybe it's helpful to think through an example. Um, Let's imagine an electric circuit all made of the same material. The material has some value for conductivity. And because conductivity is the reciprocal of resistivity, it has a value for resistivity too. Resistivity is a disposition or power, a disposition to resist current. Conductivity is a disposition, a disposition to conduct current. The two, I guess, must be very deeply related, if not ultimately the same power described in a different mathematical way. At least I take it that if one is manifesting, it makes sense to say that the other one is. By treating a material that's composing this electrical circuit, perhaps we cool it down or we remove impurities and so on, we can reduce the resistivity. In the limit, for example, if our circuit was a superconductor, the resistivity would be zero. And that might lead some to want to say, that the power of resistivity has ceased to manifest because it's not resisting the current anymore. But then we should say that the power of conductivity has ceased to manifest too because of the close relationship with resistivity. But I think it just sounds odd to to think that a superconducting circuit is not manifesting its conductivity. If anything, surely it's manifesting it superlatively. So maybe that helps, I don't know.
0: Yeah, thanks Toby, that does, yeah. Um, Great, so on a similar issue, I wonder why is it the case that being a concrete part of physical reality is a criterion for exhibiting zero value of electrostatic force? So, for example, it seems to me that we could just as well say that abstract objects such as numbers exhibit zero force. What's wrong with saying that?
1: Uh, Well, has anyone earnestly said such a thing? Um, It seems to me that that's the kind of thing that only a philosopher would think of saying, uh, at least when we attribute a value of force to things in in physics, even zero values, um, we're then only a step away from making claims about their expected behavior. If there is a net positive force, the object will accelerate. If there's a, a net zero force, the object will remain at rest or a constant velocity or follow a geodesic. These are clearly not inferences we make with numbers. I don't even know what it means to say that a number is at rest or a constant velocity or following a geodesic. To attribute it to value of force, even zero is to suggest that these properties can have applications in a realm where the laws governing them just don't have any jurisdiction. In fact, if anything, it seems to me so clearly wrong to say that numbers of numbers that they experience zero value force, that I think this just lends more support to the reality of attributions of zero value force in the physical realm. It's having zero force as opposed to no force that helps to constitute something's physicality.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I think I see that. Um, great. So so you say that you're inclined to attribute to all physical reality some value for every physical power, because all things could be said to exhibit the manifestation of any given power with zero value. But doesn't this then kind of trivialise the attribution of powers, because everything will have every power, and so powers become kind of perhaps less interesting and important?
1: Yeah, I admitted to uh, being inclined to say that uh... I didn't defend it much in the paper other than saying that it seemed to be suggested by the way zero values were treated in physics. Um, But I don't think it trivialises the attribution of powers. Uh, First, the claim was really supposed to be restricted to the physical realm, and I meant that in the sense of objects which are governed by the laws of physics. I don't know if I'd want to say that abstract objects or macroscopic objects governed by different laws of the special sciences, for example, Manifest every power with some value. For instance, I don't think it's reasonable or perhaps even meaningful to attribute numbers a value of force, as we've just talked about, nor to attribute, say, an economy with an electrical charge. Focusing on the entities of physics, I think the claim that every object has every power to some degree and so manifests it to some degree is not too radical, though. Physicists are constantly searching to minimize and unify the properties at play. Ideally, they'd like to. They'd like it if every attributable property fell neatly within some symmetry, implying that all properties are related with every other along some or other dimension. In light of that, it seems to me reasonable to think that every physical object will have every physical power to some positive or negative degree, where that degree can be captured within the unifying symmetries of physics. So I think maybe the intuition, although it might sound initially strange, could be borne out by a little close attention to the kind of practices of fundamental physics.
0: Okay, final question now then. Um, okay, so so if the manifestation of some power is the exertion of a force and the exertion of a force only, then wouldn't it be the case that we couldn't detect this power when the value of the force manifested is zero, right? So in this case, I worry that your view might well succumb to the, the S-field and Sash problem that you mentioned about the possibility of undetectable powers.
1: Yeah. So um, in in that problem, I tried to give a reason for preferring for thinking the Megarian variable actualist view could be helpful for avoiding various issues that dispositionalists face about the detectability of powers. Um, yeah, I, I think you'd be right that it it wouldn't help much if um, zero values were just as undetectable as um, unmanifesting powers. But I don't think that's right. Zero values of force, for example, are detectable, at least no less so than positive values. In a bubble chamber, for example, the kind of things they have set up in uh, large Hadron colliders where they watch the tracks left by particles created after some collision event, the curves of the tracks tell us what kinds of forces are at play. If a curve is very tight, we know that there's a high value of force steering the particle around, If the curve is very loose, we know there's a low value. If the curve is a straight line, we know that there's no force. Of course, there are inevitable issues of accuracy in measurement. How do we know that the curve is a straight line, not an arc of some radius? But that's no more difficult than the issue of knowing that some curve has an arc of some particular radius than another. So it seems to me that we do have a a way of ascertaining when there's zero force applying to uh, certain objects in just the same sort of way as for any other value of force. And again the fact that there is clearly a comprehensible way to measure the force of a physical of physical matter even when the force is zero but there is no comprehensible way it seems to me to assess or measure the force of an uh, experienced by a number for example or another abstract object. It suggests to me that Megarian variable actualism is really onto something. Zero values of variable properties really do have a distinct ontology. Uh, than absences of those variable properties. And that's a difference in ontology that we're all familiar with as soon as we start doing science of the physical world. So I guess I think attention to the differences between zero values and absences of values will really ultimately uh, lend credence to the Megarian view that I'm trying to defend, or at least that's the hope.
0: Great, that was brilliant, Dr. Toby Friend. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's
1: been great.